I suppose I think food is incredibly important. I think food carries um, memory and it carries cultural identity, but I also think it's personal independence um, and I think the whole phenomenon of sharing a meal with people is unbelievably important and it makes me deeply sad that so many families, for whatever reason, have decided that that is not important. And I think what they're losing is something of incalculable value. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. My name is Greg. Today I'm talking to Australian culinary royalty. Stephanie Alexander really doesn't need much introduction. Her career as a chef, restaurateur, food educator and author has changed the way Australians eat. Hello Stephanie and welcome. Thank you. The Cook's Companion is probably the go-to reference book in kitchens all over Australia, but your new book, The Cook's Apprentice, is a reference book of a slightly different kind. Its subtitle, Tips, Techniques and Recipes for New Foodies, tells us something. But what were you setting out to do when you put it together? Well, I think I was setting out to, to acknowledge that there are quite a few people who've, for one reason or another, slipped through the cracks and have simply not learnt how to cook. They were not shown how to cook and they are easily intimidated by uh, recipes and by the whole idea because they feel that their knowledge is missing or scanty. And although The Cook's Companion has tried very hard to explain recipes and so on, this book is much simpler. I've gone out of my way to explain every technique that I think can trip up a new cook and so that they take a vanilla bean and split it, that is inclined to sort of, you don't know anything about it. It's, it's a mysterious instruction. So I've explained exactly what you do, what those little black dots are, etc. And even things like uh, how to deal with a pomegranate. Um, scatter with pomegranate seeds is often said. And if you don't, you look at this beautiful rosy fruit and you're not quite sure how to attack it at all, so I've explained the various ways you can get those arils out of the fruit. And a whole lot of more basic things, how to prepare cake tins, you know, do you need to preheat your oven, all and so on. So that hopefully anyone who really is interested in being able to have culinary independence, whether they be 10 years old, 15 or 90, can really get into it. I think it's the first cookbook where I've actually read the introduction and thought, <laughs> I've learned something already. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and the title, The New Foodie, who is The New Foodie? Well, I think I mean just somebody coming to food rather than being part of a trend. And I'm very aware that that can be male, female, whatever, and it can also be somebody who has lost their cooking partner. Um, divorce, death, suddenly somebody is left bereft and doesn't know how to proceed uh, other than resorting to convenience food. And I often sat, tell the story that after my mother died, which was many years ago now, my father was really inconsolable and I went to him and I taught him how to make bread. And he'd never made a thing in his life. He'd always been very good with a bottle opener and setting the table and being mine host and supporting my mother in every way. 
And he made a loaf of bread for years every week and it was sort of his entree into his retirement community. He sort of came with the bread and, and I, it sort of helped him integrate with a, a new world, really, of being without a partner. And I, I think for, for many people there's, that that sort of situation can can occur. It's a sort of a, a gateway thing, I suppose, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. This is a, a gateway book, if you like. You seem to have paid a lot of attention to structure and organisation in The Cook's Apprentice. How have you managed to present so much information and made it so accessible? Well, I did spend 10 years being a librarian. Yes, I knew that. (laughs) And I think that that sort of love of organisation and clarity um, and organising information particularly has stood me in very good stead. And I must say I do like a good list. And I'm in alphabetical very, order. In and the alphabetical <laughs> order. Can't really beat it. <laughs> the book also seems to take fairly commonly available ingredients, and many of them can be found in backyards, really. Is that an intentional approach? Well, it was certainly an intentional approach to take out, to not do things like tripe and tongue and trotters, because I felt that somebody just starting out that is not what they're going to start with and they can always graduate to the cook's companion after they feel that they've got their wings, as it were. Um, so, yes, it's definitely a selection of the the sort of ingredients that I think are available to people countrywide, continent-wide, and that would be likely to be top of mind if you were starting out. One thing I noticed was because I have a passion for it via myself at home and I casually... Th- flicking through the book and saw passion fruit and learned something straight away that um, I should wait till my passion fruit falls off the vine onto the ground, but don't leave, don't it, leave there. it too long <laughs> in case it burns. So that's the sort of ingredient I, I guess I was thinking about. A lot of people would have a passion fruit vine or, or something similar. And so little tips like that can really be useful to people. Yeah, well, I feel I've spent, you know, close to 40 years um, working in the professional kitchen in one capacity or another, and you can't help but amass a vast amount of what might sometimes seem very trivial information. But I have found that, you know, even with my kids, that I say something casually and they say, oh, we didn't know that. I was also reading another part about the salad of the imagination. What's that all about? Well, that's certainly one of the most enjoyable things in the Kitchen Garden program, that every time there's a kitchen class in a vast number of the schools, we say to one group of kids, well, this week you're making the salad of the imagination. And so they love that. They go out to the garden and they pick all sorts of green things and they often pick some edible flowers and they pick herbs and then they have to come in and decide what sort of dressing they're going to put on it. And sometimes, you know, the results are quite amazing, amazingly good and sometimes even amazingly bizarre. (laughs) But you know, they've done it themselves, they're very proud of it, and it always looks beautiful. Do they come to an understanding of seasonality? That seems th- to be something well, in this book too. It has to, because that's they're only going to be growing what's seasonally going to grow. So it does fairly rapidly, actually, fix in their minds the idea that not everything is available all of the time. So this book bridges the gap between the kitchen garden and... The Cook's Apprentice, or that's what you're intending to do? Well, almost between the kitchen garden students and the Cook's Companion. Yeah, I think that's probably wasn't entirely the aim, but I suspect that probably is the reality. Just thinking about some of the common ingredients, uh, like the humble orange, which you know everybody knows, not everybody loves, but when you speak about it, you, you don't think just about the glass of fresh orange juice, although you do talk about that as essential to any good breakfast, but 
the orange actually brings up for you memory. How closely is memory tied to food? Well, for me, very closely, and that gives me a lot of pleasure, and it often um, heightens the pleasure of a dish if, if it evokes something that I've experienced or perhaps something that I have not yet experienced but have read about or been heard about from another traveller. I do think memory and emo- emotional responses to food are really very important. That sounds like something that'd be quite hard to communicate to a student of your kitchen garden, for example. Well, accepting that the whole country is so diverse culturally, I can't think of a school that I've visited where there hasn't been children there from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds. And we try to encourage that diversity to be shown in the menus that are designed. Um, and we definitely ask the opinion of the Chinese student or the Vietnamese student and Turkish student, just so that their culture is recognised and valued by everybody in the grade. Food for you seems to be more than just about food. Are you some kind of food philosopher? (laughs) Well, I suppose I think food is incredibly important. I think food carries um, memory and it carries cultural identity, but I also think it's personal independence um, and I think the whole phenomenon of sharing a meal with people is unbelievably important and it makes me deeply sad that so many families, for whatever reason, have decided that that is not important. And I think what they're losing is something of incalculable value. I mean, I know that the reason that I am the food fanatic that I am is because I grew up in a household where we all loved to eat, but we also were interested in what we were eating, which is a slightly different thing. And we all ate together. Now, I know it was just before television, and I understand that that's a a huge difference. Um, but, you know, it's, I still say to people, yes, I understand that children have sport and what all sorts of activities after school, but if it's valued in a family, you will find a time regularly to come together around a table. And where that doesn't happen in a family, there are other things that I think aren't happening also. One of many things that you convey is this, this joy in cooking, and that relates to this I guess, the family unit or gathering of people. Mm. But there's so many other things that you speak about. For example, there's nutrition, history comes into it. And I was fascinated to read about the potato and the sweet potato, how actually the sweet potato predated the potato, certainly in Europe, and rhubarb came from Russia. Well, you know, there's sort of, I suppose, trivial bits of information. And some people love that sort of connections and things in their mind and other people will just pass over that information, but it interests me, yeah. You spent much of your career educating people about food, about good food and where it comes from, but lately we seem to be swamped with convenience food. Are we so time poor, do you think, that we have to resort to powdered shakes and home delivery for sustenance? And how do you counter that in the home kitchen? Again, that makes me very, very sad and... um My answer is always the same one, which is we have to educate the young. We have to start from babyhood on to introduce the idea of valuing being together, valuing good fresh food. We don't all have to grow it. I fully understand that not everybody is going to become a backyard grower, but everybody can value food uh, and introduce it. I mean, my three-year-old granddaughter is already interested in food and already has her meals with the rest of the family, even though 
perhaps you can barely reach the table. And I can see that that is the background. That's where it starts. And that's, you know, she sees and observes what we're all eating, but she doesn't always love everything. But I know that she's, that's how you do it. That's how you set people on the path, that they're not going to be happy um, or satisfied just with the convenience packaged food. Yeah, so you start early. I start guess. early and... Um, and, of course, modelling is incredibly important. If the parents genuinely love it themselves and genuinely invite children to share this experience and to help, and to help, um, again, the habits are there. Yeah. Call me a snob if you like, but I can't imagine many things worse than having a home-delivered pizza that's been sitting in a cyclist's backpack. Exactly. And, in fact, there's, there's evidence now that the, good, the, the so-called good restaurants, in, certainly in Melbourne are withdrawing from that service because they got so fed up with their food that they had spent time and hopefully love on being, as you say, ridden through streets and delivered and slipped sideways. And I guess nothing really compares to a home-cooked meal, does it? No matter how simple. One other thing I noticed was that you encourage people to read the whole recipe before starting and prepare all your ingredients Yes, well, that all comes from sort of spending so much time in a professional kitchen. You always assemble everything, first of all, so that when you actually come to do the cooking, everything is there. You're not saying, oh, my goodness, I haven't got so-and-so. And the worst thing, of course, is if you haven't read the recipe, to get partway through it and it says, now soak something for 15 minutes. But I've tried to overcome that by at the top of every recipe saying how long it will take. And in brackets, if necessary, it will say, includes soaking time, you know, so that people don't think, oh, I can do this in 15 minutes and find they can't. You seem to have covered all the bases. I really like the way you also build in a little bit of flexibility into all the recipes or all the information. Uh, I've always found very useful the list of things, cheese goes with yeah. such and such. That's uh, been much admired in The Cook's Companion, so I yes. had to include it in this one too. It's a big feature of both. Yeah. If there was one message that you could send out to people about um, good food and how the, the cook's apprentice can help you on that pathway, what would it be? It would be that to cook uh, well is not difficult and that anxiety is paralysing. So you need to get past the anxiety and start with something that you really love to eat, be that an omelette or be it a leg of lamb, roasting a leg of lamb or whatever it is, and you will have such wonderful success that you will be spurred to continue. Stephanie Alexander, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure. The Cook's Apprentice, Tips, Techniques and Recipes for New Foodies by Stephanie Alexander is published by Penguin Random House and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookshops.